It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. The NFL trade deadline is only a week away. What potential moves could the Carolina Panthers make? We'll talk about it right here on Locked On Panthers. You are Locked On Panthers, your daily Carolina Panthers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into another edition of the Locked On Panthers podcast, the part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, as always, Julian Council, talking Carolina Panthers with you every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, your team every day. That's our motto here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe or follow our show for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And be sure to follow me, Julian Council, on Twitter at Julian Council, where on Wednesdays throughout the rest of the regular season, I'll be answering your weekly Wednesday mailbag questions either at me or DM me over on Twitter at Julian Council to get a question in for this week's edition of the weekly Wednesday mailbag right here on Locked on Panthers. This episode of Locked on Panthers is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on to get started today. Mike K of the Charlotte Observer going to join the show today. As we'll talk to Mike about, well, all the things that's going on with the Carolina Panthers, their 0-6 start, what they're going to do coming out of the bye week, the change of uh, Thomas Brown now being the play caller as he's the OC here in Carolina, and what potential trades Carolina Panthers could make as the deadline approaches next week. So Mike K of the Charlotte Observer coming up right here on Locked On Panthers. Back here on Locked on Panthers, and as promised, Mike Kay, he's one of the beat reporters for the Charlotte Observer covering your Carolina Panthers. He is so kind to join us as he's taking care of a newborn. Mike and his wife just welcomed baby boy number two a few weeks ago. Mike, how you doing, man? How you getting any sleep? Yeah, I mean, I'm counting my wins because I, in my profession, you know, it's been a little bit difficult over the last couple of weeks. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's been great. Um both boys are doing well and healthy. Mom's doing great. And um, I'm just very tired. <laughs> yes. And well, you and a lot of people are very tired here in the Carolinas. You're tired because you're taking care of a newborn and, and another boy. And also because you're covering a Carolina Panthers team that is 0-6. And, and a lot of people who listen to the show, a lot of folks here in Charlotte and throughout the Carolinas and all over the world that are Panther fans are tired of seeing the same results year after year. As we sit here heading into the week seven by the Panthers are 0-6. They have found creative ways to lose all these games. There is talk about trading away some key players for assets as the trade deadline approaches in a few days' time. But when I look back at the first six weeks of the season, while they're not a great team, does it feel like they should be an 0-6 team to this point in the season? Like I look at Minnesota, Atlanta. It felt like those are two winnable games. Like They're 0-6. They're not great. But should they really be the worst team? Are they really the worst team in the NFL in your mind just from what you've seen? Well, I mean, I 
It's tough, right? Because I do feel like the Vikings game really stings. That was a game they definitely should have won. The Atlanta game, they definitely should have won. I thought before the season started, you know, I was the guy who was kind of like, ooh, curb curb the enthusiasm. You know, I've been on the show a bunch of times and and kind of not preach patience, but preach that, like, I think people are getting a little overzealous with expectations. Yeah. I thought they'd be two and four at this point. I've said – since Wright got hired, since the schedule's been out, that this was always going to be a survive to the bye, and then you can do some damage in the second half and make your numbers look really pretty. Because really, realistically, as you said, should they be the worst team in the league? There are teams that are just as unimpressive that are coming up on this schedule. Now, I think what's glaring is the offense, but then you look at the numbers, they're actually the top offense statistically from points per game standpoint. <laughs> Shocking. And as I wrote in my, my, my column before the, at the bye, the NFC South kind of runs like uh, an ill-conceived carnival, pop-up carnival in a, in a random parking lot. It's just like, there's a lot of weirdness. There's like a lot of uneven statistics. There's weird outcomes. There's probably going to be a spirit Halloween store set up soon within the division. I'm sure. Like, it's just like one of those weird divisions. And I think, look, I don't think this season's ever been about playoffs. I think it's about Bryce Young. And honestly, the last two weeks, I've seen a lot of tangible growth from him. And we've seen some signs of that Bama Bryce. Not enough, but we've seen it. And I, I agree with you. I don't think they're the worst team in the league. I think the the results have been awful. Yeah. Um, and frankly you know, for this touted coaching staff, a lot of it has been operational. And I think that's what's great. Yeah. The talent level on this team is not very good. I've said it on your show before, this was a very top heavy defense. And if they had a major injury or two, which guess what? They've had a few of them. Yeah. Five. Uh, they were going to, they were going to sink and that was predictable, but I do feel a lot of the self-inflicted wounds are, are the result of coaching. I think tackling has been terrible for a team that has nothing but veterans on defense uh, the offense, they signed three guys that they thought could really harbor a, uh, uh, a strong environment for this team who have not shown up. DJ Chark has not played well. Miles Sanders has not played well. I, I forget Hayden Hurst exists half the time. Like it's, it's, it's troubling because this staff has such great resumes and they led with this staff. And I know I'm going on a tangent here, but like, eventually you've got to realize like, Hey, this isn't just on the talent. It's also on the staff who wanted a lot of these guys, by the way. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I agree with basically, I mean, everything that you laid out there and I was on the same part. And we've seen eye to eye on a lot of things leading up to the season. Like I didn't think this was gonna be a playoff team. I've long felt like the most important thing, especially when you give up what they gave up to get Bryce Young, is to develop Bryce Young and to put the best team around him, which, of course, they did not do that. Wide receiver, there's reasons why they weren't able to do that. One of them, you traded DJ Moore. The second, you look at the market and what was available to you at the wide receiver position. So it really shouldn't have been a surprise to anyone that was honestly looking at this team without black and blue glasses that that was probably going to be a sore spot throughout the season for the Panthers, aside right now from Adam Thielen, who I think has been terrific and Probably a little bit more than I expected. I thought he'd be a good player. I didn't think he would be uh, this good at age 33. But unfortunately, yes, they are not two and four. Uh, they are not going to be able to capitalize on a week schedule and then get around 500 coming out of the bye. It's going to be all about what they can do 
to help Bryce moving forward. One of the things that they're hoping can help Bryce move forward is by having Thomas Brown be the play caller. That was the news of the day on Monday. And quite honestly, I'm pretty sure you agree with this. The easiest thing the Panthers could have done at 0-6 when it comes to changes. Some fans want to see trades. We'll get into that later. Some fans want to see Scott Bitter get fired. I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon, if at all, throughout the, throughout the rest of the season. But changing play callers was a pretty simple thing for Frank Reich to do. Now, Frank says that was always the plan to do it at this point in time. If they're 6-0, and is that the case? Have a hard time believing that. But either way, Thomas Brown is the play caller. That's the right choice. I'm just wondering, how much is that really going to change for the Panthers over the next 11 games of the season with him as the primary voice to Bryce Young? So I think I wouldn't even look at it as like an offensive move. And I wrote this okay. in my column. The As we brought up, the pre-snap penalties, the, the lack of discipline, the defense giving up 42 points in back-to-back games. This team needed an overarching view in-game. That's what Frank needed to focus on, in my opinion. Something like if you look at the history of guys who are play callers and head coaches, the success rate is very slim or they've given it up down the road. Like Andy Reid is a very rare commodity, but in Philadelphia, he was routinely mocked for his in-game decision-making. Um, we also have seen that with Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay. Their in-game decision-making is not always the best. They're terrific play callers. Uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes can hide a lot of things. Uh, so can a great system that's endured the way the Shanahan system has. Uh, they also have a great defense. I, I think, like... For Frank, and I know he did it for five and a half years in Indianapolis, but that team also never won a division title in in arguably the NFC South of the AFC. So aptly named the AFC South. Yeah. Um, I don't South's know. not very good at NFL football. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I think it, yeah, it's more SEC, ACC town. You know? Yeah. That's the excuse. Um, I, I think this was an easy card to play. Um, I think you have a young up and coming guy who's extremely sharp, who clearly wanted Bryce Young. I know there was the scuttlebutt about, you know, which I didn't think was very fair, but that's neither here nor there. I think when you look at Thomas Brown, he has a lot of conviction, speaks with purpose. And I think having one direct messenger as opposed to two is always more productive. Um I was reading this the other day. I don't know if you know about Endeavor, like UFC, wrestling, Ari Emanuel, all that stuff. So yeah. Endeavor is an agency. They just bought WWE. And I read this quote uh, from somebody that, that Ari Emanuel, the head of the, their operation, um, I forgot where I read this, but the head of their operation believes in having people that you hire do the jobs they're hired for. And I think when you hire an offensive coordinator – it's cool to be the play designer, but it's even more important to empower them as the play caller. And yeah. I, I think as the head coach, we're seeing a lot of CEO head coaches have success. Nick Sirianni is is one of them who also gave up play calling his first year in Philadelphia in week seven uh, and had a lot of success after that, obviously. Yeah. Playoffs I, I, that year, Super Bowl right. last year. Right. And by the way, guess who his biggest mentor is? Frank Wright. Right. So um, I, I think... Empowering Thomas Brown, who, in my opinion, has been the most impressive guy on the staff thus far um, from a presentation standpoint, for the way he communicates, how I watch him in practice. 
Um, he's a guy who has a background, not only as a player, but he has a background coaching multiple positions. He understands how they work. Um, I think what he can do is help Bryce focus. Um, we saw this past week, you know, there was talk about the, the, the uh, wristband and simplifying stuff. Well, guess what? They avoided pre-snap penalties. Simplifying and then branching out from there after building a base is really important. And I think for Brown, he's got the opportunity. One, there's a low bar, right, in place. And two, he's about to – I mean, look, the Texans' defense is terrific. Uh, the Colts, they're fine. Uh, Chicago, Not you know, I mean, like, I, I think this is a really smart move from a PR standpoint, too, because, frankly, uh, it's the easiest thing to do. You're, I read this in my column. Most teams in this position fire a scapegoat coach of insignificance – might sound like significance on, on, on the exterior, but not really on the interior, or they trade away an, an ill-performing star player. They didn't do either of those things. And I actually think that's the smart remove from a chemistry standpoint. I, I get the sense from the locker room that they are pro this move, not that they were anti-Frank, but I yeah. think they've accepted this role and they're ready to move forward. And there's also a thing about it too, like if, Thomas Brown actually would have taken actually been the play caller through the first six weeks in their 0 six. Like he would have been potentially the scapegoat, right or wrong. And so I think in a way, like Frank Reich maybe kind of took some bullets for him the first couple weeks of the season, knowing that he had to have known that they're gonna have some issues probably with Corbett being out. They could not have predicted Brady Christensen being out for the season with the bicep tear. Um, Bryce being a rookie and that learning curve as much as they said he was ready to go, there's always gonna be a learning cur- curve for a rookie quarterback. Then the wide receiver is me. That that has not obviously been great so far for the Panthers. Um, but let's take a quick pause here, Mike, and come back, get into uh, some more things as the Panthers head into a week seven bye here on Locked On Panthers. Our partners at eBay Motors have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Football host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week, all season long. Whether you're prepping for a daily draft or scouting the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you players that are guaranteed to fit on your roster. So let's see who Vinny has picked out for us on this week's eBay base guaranteed fit fantasy picks of the week coming off of a bye, jets wide receiver garrett wilson will be looking to build on his momentum of improved zach wilson when the jets face off against the giants in week eight the Giants secondary has struggled in coverage already giving up big games to debo samuel tyree kill and stefan diggs garrett wilson hopes to continue the trend of other dominant number one wide receivers look for him to keep coming through with his best all-around game yet in fantasy in 2023 Vinny Iyer from locked on fantasy football is going to help you win your fantasy Fantasy championship and eBay Motors knows the championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. Same with your vehicle. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die at alive at ebay.com slash motors. eBay Guaranteed Fit. Fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. 
All right, back here on Locked On Panthers, Julian Council with Mike K of the Charlotte Observer. Follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore E underscore K-A-Y-E. And check out his latest column at the Charlotte Observer. Five thoughts on the Panthers at the bye. Play calling switch is about more than just offense, as we just went over there with Thomas Brown now taking over the reins as a play caller, starting in week eight against the Houston Texans at home, which will, right or wrong, be a referendum game on Bryce Young, where the Carolina Panthers got the pick right. Way too early to do that, but you know, it's going to happen soon. And I mentioned before the break, Austin Corbett, it's Wednesday of next week, right? Is the 20 day, one day um, period where that's the end of it, where you'd have to be activated. I imagine that will be the case that he'll be activated and he'll be right back there at right guard. How big of an impact do you think he can make coming off of that ACL tear? And then who do they slot in there at left guard? Will it be Zavala when he's back healthy? Who's had his ups and downs? Do you think maybe Cade Mays sticks there uh, for the time being as far as the offensive line goes here in Carolina? Well, I'll say this straight up, and I've said this pretty much since he got injured. He was the best player on offense last year, it was, and I don't think it was close. I, I okay. really don't. I, I think he was the – Austin Corbett was the best player on offense last year. He's what made the offensive line go. He made Bradley Bozeman look really good. He made Taylor Moten look really good. He made James Campen look really good. I, I – I can't praise that guy enough for his performance last year coming off an ACL. It's going to be difficult. I mean, he hasn't had live reps in forever. I saw him out there practicing. He looks agile. He looks really good. I would give it a couple of weeks, but I think when he comes back, that's that solidifies a position that has been an absolute turnstile and terrible spot for this team. And I think it's impacted Bozeman. I think it's impacted Moden. I, I think, Zavala is a guy like we need to get updates on his neck, obviously, but he was, you know, walking around the locker room the other day, seemed to be in good spirits. Um, I think Cade Mays is a really good player. I've said that on the show before. I think right guard, he kind of struggled. He is probably more of a natural left guard as a natural guy who has played tackle and center. That's probably a better transition than being the right guard. Um, I could see them sticking with him there. I think Calvin Throckmorton did a pretty okay job at right guard. Not great, but maybe they consider him there. Look, the options are great. I mean, I, but Zavala is a guy that they want to be a long-term member of this of this group, and I thought his tape was phenomenal. I, I, I'm puzzled as to why he played so exceptionally well at right guard with limited reps in week one and then moved to his natural spot and just completely just like his performance imploded. Um so maybe he needs a reset, and maybe that's what this could turn into. But I think left guard is still up in the air, and that's a really important spot because it's really tough as a left tackle to block knowing whether or not you can trust your, your the guy next to you. And I, I think that's played into Iki Iguanu's struggles with his turnstile. Um, Brady Christensen had a really, really strong week one. It's a shame that he got injured, but they've yeah. got to figure it out. Yeah, that they do. And I would think that going to younger options probably makes the most sense. You talk about Zavala. I mean, Cade Mays is only in his second year as well. So that would make sense uh, for the Panthers probably get the younger options. But if they're, I don't know, think about trying to win more than maybe Throckmorton's the best option. I'm not quite sure. But getting some stability will help. Because I mean, I told fans a couple of years ago when they were 5-12 and 12 during that 2021 season, 13 out of 17 games had a different combination of starting offensive linemen. And the talent level was not great. But if you're not healthy, you're not going to have success. If they are all healthy for 17 weeks, I think they probably would have been a better unit. Not a great one, but a better unit than what we saw there in 2021. I feel like that's kind of been the case so far as they've had four different starting combinations in the first six weeks of the season. And once uh, Corbett comes back, it'll be five in the first seven weeks. And hopefully it'll be the same five uh, the rest of the way once he is back. Now, that can help the Panthers offense. Thomas Brown now is a play caller. 
and Bryce Young getting that one singular voice. You talked about it earlier. DJ Chark, haven't got much out of him so far here in Carolina. There was a connection between him and Bryce down in Spartanburg that is not carried over to Cedar Street or on Mint Street so far this season or anywhere else they played so far here in the NFL. Um, Hayden Hurst, APB, where's he at? And I feel like he's probably going to be pretty frustrated by the situation too, having chosen to come here in free agency. And then Miles Sanders, I show him a little bit of grace because the guy missed preseason with a groin injury, popped up in the injury report a couple weeks ago with a groin injury that missed last Sunday with a shoulder. He's obviously not healthy. Can Thomas Brown potentially get more out of those three individuals to help turn around this offense or at least get them on track in the final 11 games of the season? Well, I think part of the issue for Chark is he's kind of playing traditionally out of out of pocket right now. Like he is not an X receiver. They have him on the line of scrimmage. He's facing a lot of press coverage. He's not historically known for getting off press coverage. He's more of a natural Z receiver, but they want Mingo there. And he, Mingo's head is seemingly swimming if you watch tape. Um, I, I was kind of critical of that pick. I mean, I gave it a B minus in my grades, but like I, I just – I thought they overdrafted him a little bit. I didn't think he was ready. I've been on the show before and said I didn't think he really had a particularly strong training camp either. Um, But I think Chark is kind of miscast here just based on the norm. Um, And that hasn't helped. I mean, is that that's I mean that's the staff more than him, right? Because you go back to when they brought him in, they said, "Hey, we want to we want to work on the entire route tree. We want to make him an overall receiver." But it seems like, obviously, from what you're saying, that has not really panned out for him, and he's better suited playing Z. It might make more sense for the Panther. I don't know. I mean, I think his like originally they were like, "Well, we're going to move around guys and everything," and and they kind of tried that the first two weeks, and then it was just like. Then you kind of forget Terrace Marshall's there, I guess. And then, you know. Well, literally forgot he was there. Yeah, whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think, like, the problem that they have is they don't have guys that can get off press coverage. There isn't a guy on the roster who can get off press coverage and be consistently successful. So you go with the veteran over the rookie whose head's swimming, right? Yeah. Uh, X is a very complicated position when you are, you know, you got to be on press. You got to keep, you know, your route perfect. You got to be there from t- a timing standpoint. And it's just not working out. I think with Hayden Hurst, Hayden Hurst has never been like a primary option in offense. There's a reason why he's bounced around the league a lot. He's not a particularly strong blocker. I think that that plays into it too, especially when you want to run a lot of 11 personnel. When you run 11 personnel, you want a guy who can block and catch. And we saw from Tommy Tremble, he showed kind of the ability to do both last week when Ian Thomas was out of the lineup. They've kind of been in this timeshare with Ian Thomas and and Hayden Hurst because of blocking and receiving ability, right? Like, I know there was, like, the big thing about the the uh, slot fade a couple of weeks ago, but here's the thing. If you're going to run that route, especially in red zone, you want a guy who can at least show that he can block and then kind of get off, off coverage. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, for this team, it's, it is a personnel. A lot it, – it's a personnel issue, but guess who wanted – you know, Miles Sanders and DJ Chark, Deuce Staley. I mean, yeah. the staff, right? Like, yeah. so look, I know that Scott Fitter is taking a lot of heat, but I also think you have to realize, like, I wrote the piece about the collaboration this offseason. It was very collaborative, and sometimes collaboration ends poorly. I think the process has been fine. It's the practice that's been kind of like, I'm trying to think of a word that's polite, but it's been <laughs> horrific. Like, honestly, the results have been like, antithetical to what they thought they'd be. And I think, you know, with Miles Sanders, 
I do think you have to give him some grace. He played behind the best offensive line in football for three years. They've clearly overestimated this offensive line. I think in a lot of ways, this blocking scheme is fighting its strength because Bradley Bozeman's a power blocker and they're running a ton of inside zone. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, Miles, something Miles has struggled with, and I it's well-documented. I covered him his first three years in Philly. He struggles with vision between – the tackles and they have tried to run a little bit more North and South, obviously playing to their strengths interior wise. It's harder to play in space when you can't trust your guards. And I just think the results have been kind of middling. You watch Chuba Hubbard, he runs North to South, like his hair's on fire. And I think that that's kind of, you know, I know a lot of people bring up Deontay Foreman, but there's a reason why Deontay Foreman wasn't on the field on third down in obvious passing situations with the previous staff. He is not a, a known pass blocker. He is not a guy who catches a lot of footballs. You're seeing him be mitigated in Chicago as well. He's uh, been like barely out there. He's, I think right. he's been like a healthy scratch three times so far. And look, I, I get it. When you don't have all the information or you're not watching film or you're not watching some of the great analysts out there and you are just showing up on Sundays because you love the Panthers, I understand why this is confusing. But I, I think, uh, you know, from the standpoint of like, they thought they had guys that fit their system. They want guys who are multiple. They want guys who can block and catch in all aspects. On paper, in theory, those guys would have worked out. I just, I kind of think like when you bring in these middling veterans to support a rookie quarterback and the rookie quarterback isn't ready to uplift the talent, it's really difficult. Adam Thielen, a guy who they got a ton of, of criticism for giving a huge contract to, is having success. Do you know why? Because he's a technician. It's not about skill. He is a technician. The guy's open every single play uh, because he knows how to set up a route tree. He knows how to set up a stem. He's very in tune with beating zone coverage, which the league is very heavy on. If you want to match him up in man coverage, good luck, because he's going to beat the slot receiver because he can out technique you. And I think they focused a lot on getting the right people in the building I don't know if they got the right players necessarily with how this this whole thing has played out. Yeah, and the hope for them is that, of course, they can win some games down the stretch. I, I don't think that at this point in time, hot seat really is a worthy conversation to have. Um, if Now, if the results are continue to be this bad where they don't win games, and yeah, we can have that discussion – but they'll likely get an opportunity this offseason to correct uh, some of the wrongs that they made uh, this past season. But um, I want to get into some of the trade deadline stuff that you wrote about. Also, um, your thoughts on Fitter, because you brought it up. There's been a lot of fans that are calling for his head. I question how many of the moves really were on him, because you talk about the staff, some of these guys wanting Miles Sanders, wanting DJ Chark. Can you really blame, blame the general manager, the head coach, and the assistant head coach are um, – really wanting him to be on the roster. So we'll get into that here in just a moment on Locked On Panthers. Snap into the action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get into the action than right now. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel official partner of the NFL. 
We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, back here, Julian Council with Mike K. Again, follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore E underscore K-A-Y-E. Check out his latest work over at the Charlotte Observer. Five thoughts on the Panthers at the bye. And getting into more of those thoughts, Mike, and not something that you wrote about, but a lot of fans out here, they want blood, man. And, okay, cool. Frank Reich not calling the plays. He's still here in Carolina. We'll see how that transition works for the team with Thomas Brown being the play caller. But, they want an actual head, and that head is Scott Fitter, who they look at as the next guy in line to be axed here in Carolina. I wonder how many of the decisions of the past when Matt Rule was the head coach here and had obvious power, and David Tepper talked about it when he fired Rule, that I would likely not have an arrangement with a coach like that again. You think about David Tepper and his involvement here. You have Rich Eisen, Stephen Holder saying the open secret in the league is that the owner was the one that Bryce Young that, that wanted Bryce Young. But Thomas Brown, of course, has come out and said that Bryce Young was number on his board what are your thoughts on the criticism of Scott Fitterer and whether he is somebody that could be right there on the chopping block if it continues to go down this direction in the second half of the season well first I would say you're right what's difficult about this evaluation is right that that he came in the middle of rules tenure you're not really sure who exactly is what like I mean look he came in this offseason and made it sound like you had to earn your spot. And I think he felt he, he, he didn't fall through with that. I mean, they cut Brandon Smith who had a, who had a lackluster training camp. Shy Smith was a guy that wasn't on scholarship. Like Keith Taylor, another guy who was not on scholarship, who he was here for their drafting for the most part. Like, I think that that is, is, is commendable. Okay. But I also think like you have an owner who signs off on moves. You don't trade up to number one without the owner signing off. You don't draft the quarterback without the owner signing off. I I think that that that's something that's really interesting in here, right? Because the owner was so a part of this quarterback process. Now that's not strange. When Carson Wentz was drafted by the Eagles, Jeffrey Lurie was at the senior bowl. Like this is not like, that's not abnormal when you're an owner who's even somewhat involved. I think that that's, Pretty normal. And this isn't a defensive fitter. I think, again, I think the process for most of these moves has been really fine. I think the practice is what's been the problem. And I don't know, like, I praise the collaboration. I'll hold myself accountable there. Throughout the summer, I wrote the story about their collaboration in the front office. Yeah, But at some point, you know, collaboration can lead to too much, right? It's too much conversation. You're the GM, do your job, right? And I understand why folks are mad. A lot of people see Scott Fitter as an extension of the Matt Rule error. And that's completely fair, Yeah, um, I think, from the outside looking in. But to me, he traded up to get the number one overall pick. That's something that has to satisfy an owner or it's not made. Uh, he got the quarterback they clearly wanted. Whether anybody else wanted Bryce Young, the owner had to sign off on it. So he wanted Bryce Young. Um uh, I agree. Thomas Brown clearly wanted Bryce Young, and and frankly, I think 
I don't want to get out of turn here and I'm not going to, I'm not going to hate on other reporters. I think Steven is, I didn't see the eyes and thing, but Steven is pretty much on point about everything. But I also think it's kind of unfair to, to, to allude to Frank not wanting a guy when it could have been like, yeah, maybe he might've had a preference. That doesn't yeah. mean that, that he didn't want Bryce Young. Right. Um, and the only people that know are the people that in that room, truthfully. Yeah, uh, and so I think like you did want to collaborate. Frank's been very open and honest about how collaborative Scott is. That's his nature in general. He wants other people's opinions. And so I think when you look at, what they've put into the roster. They went out and got Justin Houston, who is a guy who worked with Frank and Frank vouched for him. You know, there's DJ Chark and Miles Sanders who worked with Deuce Staley. Um, you know, there are guys that they brought in on this coaching staff, you know, that the coaches wanted. Right. Um, and so I think like eventually this touted coaching staff that they built this entire PR plan around eventually had to coach, right? And you've got the, I mean, look, on offense, they've got three rookie starters. That's impressive. Now it's going to take time with those guys. On defense, it's almost like they don't have any young guys that they really want to coach up or have have stepped up, right? And I think, look, I think there's still some some Matt Rule carryover here to an extent. I think they've done a really good job with the Eter Gross Matos. Jeremy Chin, obviously, that's kind of been a, a top – talking point and hasn't worked out yeah but i think like you know from a grace standpoint does scott fitter deserve grace i don't know but i think from like a pure evaluation like taking a step back standpoint i don't think he's done a terrible job from the outside looking in i think the results have been terrible yeah and i think that's that's co-owned by a lot of people in that building yeah, and that's a good way to put it because I feel like it, these conversations are always more nuanced and like, oh, fire the GM. He's done an awful job. You just got to really look at it. And it's, you talk about the collaboration, it's more complicated to figure out like, whose decisions were these. And when you look at every certain um, case, like the trades haven't necessarily panned out as far as the players that they've acquired, even though he, Sinjay Henderson has played his best football of his career probably over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but that still doesn't wash the memories of what he did the last two years, especially last year in Tampa in week 17 in a must win game for the Panthers. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I felt like, you know, typically general managers get like two head coaches and this is a coach that now Scott's here with. And you, you talk about like, the coach has got a coach. They haven't done a great job coaching. And Frank Reich is kind of subtly hinted like, hey, like I'm here to coach the team. Like Scott, those guys, they care, take care of personnel. All right. They haven't really done a great job with personnel. They haven't done a really good job of coaching the personnel. So I kind of feel like they're all tied together. And if this, if this ship sinks, they're all going to go. I just don't know how it changes anything by bringing in better. Now they got to do a better job drafting because that has certainly helped hurt them. You talk about how many young defensive guys they have out there, but they're not too far removed from having – a seven-man defensive draft class in 2020. And then there's been some primary players in 21 that were on that 11-man draft class that were also defensive players that really aren't out there. The main one is J.C. Horn because he can't stay healthy. So it used to be interesting to see how it all um, moves forward. Now, you bring up Jeremy Chin. When you first wrote the article, you mentioned as someone who could be on the trade block. He's played you know, only 58% of the snaps so far this season on defense, which is down from him playing 99, 97, and 91 in the first three years of his career. So he's off the board. I wonder what his future is in Carolina. It feels like pretty obviously he probably won't be back here um, once free agency starts in March. But as far as the other candidates out there, you believe 
that it makes sense to go out there and recoup draft picks. I think that makes way more sense than going out and trying to get a top tier receiver because that's going to totally happen at the end of October uh, in the middle of the season. So who are the other guys that would make sense that you think that could actually be on their way out of Carolina? Of course, fans are going to be thinking Brian Burns would be the number one if you want to get like maybe a first round pick as far as compensation goes. Yeah, I think if it's not nailed down, it 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 you should be open to to conversation, right? Like, so if a guy's in the final year of his contract, cool. If a guy is not performing to his contract, cool. Take the mulligan. I think with 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 the GM stuff and the, and the, the hot seat or whatever, you've got to kind of also acknowledge that as a GM candidate, why am I, why, how appealing is this job? You just trade away your one next year and your two the year after the entire point of the GM's job is to have an overarching look. And if you're, you just gambled what you gambled for Bryce young firing the guy who you signed off on getting that stuff kind of is, you know, poor process anyway. But with Scott, look, I, here's what I will say. Other GMs like working with Scott. Scott's got a lot of connections around the league. He's gotten some pretty good deals. That Robbie Anderson trade is an all-timer. I don't care what they get for him. <laughs> yeah, I, right. I don't care who they draft. That, that is the most farcical trade I, I, I can ever remember covering with a team that I've ever – like. I, and I covered Howie Roseman, and Howie Roseman wins trades outright. Like, You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say Dante Jackson, You know, the soup du jour of, of the trade market now is to pick swap. To get out of that contract next year, he's got a pretty hefty signing bonus. It's just not working um, in this scheme. You know, obviously the big, the most recent thing is the Tyree Kill thing where he played press coverage. And it, for me, it looked like they were playing cover four. And so that's why Farley reacted late on that play. Um, it seemed to be solely on Dante Jackson. I think... He's a guy that if you could sell to a contender as a number three corner, especially if they have a guy who is an outside guy who moves in to play nickel often, which yeah. is now like kind of like the, the NFL thing. Um, if you could trade like a him and a seventh for a fifth, I think that's a really sharp move. Now takes two to tango. Can they get somebody to do it? Terrace Marshall's a guy. If you can get a fourth round pick for him, I think with the way the staffs use him, I think there's logic to that. I mean, a team like the Jets, if they needed another wide receiver or – the Chiefs. I mean, I know they just traded to get Nicole Hardman back. Um, the Eagles just signed Julio Jones, but that was another team that would have kind of made sense for them uh, there because he can be kind of a big slot. Um, again, can't get off press. Uh, I think another guy who would have made sense prior to injury, like Jeremy Chin and and Tommy Tremble feel like opportunity uh, losses there because they waited too long to trade Jeremy Chin. Yeah. Um, he would have had interest is my understanding. Um, and then Tommy Tremble's a guy who's got special teams upside. We saw against Miami. He's, he's really, I would expect for him to play a lot more under Thomas Brown. I'll put that out there. Um, okay. uh, and I think maybe not immediately, but I, I think that that's coming. And I think when you, when you look at like Ian Thomas going down, they're kind of hurt from a from a tight end depth standpoint they had five tight ends at one point uh i don't know why they needed five tight ends because they're not really using them although special teams i will say that like sully and and geo are, are two guys that chris Tabor loves um another guy who could kind of make sense if he gets interest is sam franklin just because you're getting to see him play more defense xavier oh, woods okay. he's in the final year i mean he's on a one-year deal 
I don't think it's likely. I'm not, uh, this isn't a report. This is just like, if you're looking at the roster and yeah. Well, I just look at Franklin as like one of the, you talk about the defense is pretty top heavy. Like he's the like best depth they have other than like, I guess, uh, Camus, who's a veteran. Yeah, but like, as, like far as like young guys that have developed here in Carolina, he's probably like the best depth piece they have on that defense. But if somebody throws you a four, yeah, I mean, duh. You mean, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not Bye. saying they would, they would, you know what I mean? But it's just like, <laughs> at some point, you have to say to yourself, like, hey, when's the last time we talked to Frankie about his extension? Like, if he's not in the same ballpark as us, do we look into this? Because he's the type of guy that the Eagles or the Chiefs or or the Bills, that's the type of guy that you you take a swing at because his market's also really complicated. The Bills for sure with Milano being out. Right. But, but here's what I would say too, is like his market's really complicated because he's an edge who is playing inside. He is not a natural pass rusher. We've talked about it on the show before. He is a blitzer, like one of the best blitzers in the league. So like really the comparable for him is something between a Hassan Reddick and, and a Milano. Like, I mean, really like his market is, is really going to be interesting to, to kind of piece together. Um, I think if you look at it, the rest of the roster, it's kind of hard to to find other assets other than Brian Burns, who's essentially their get out of jail, but pretty scathed. You know, they're not going to get, they're not going to get two ones and a two. That's not going to happen. But if I'm the team, I can sell that. Hey, we thought we were going to be more competitive this year. We thought that we could sign him long-term. We kept him for an extra year, which devalues him because now it's it's time to get to the negotiating table. Somebody's going to have to pay him top of the market money. We have not been able to agree no matter what we've done. They wanted to pay him. It's just a matter of coming to an agreement. So what I would say is like if you can recoup a first and like a third for him, you know, also important to remember the two first round picks were 2024 and 2025. So it's not like they're losing out on the years Again, this is this would be the spin if I were the team. I, I don't yeah. necessarily agree with it. It's obviously a sunk opportunity cost, but I think you know at some point you got to say to yourself, "We're not agreeing now. Do we want to go do the franchise tag dance, create a rift?" He's been very good on the surface about this deal. Maybe it makes sense if the Seahawks, who by the way have John Schneider, who and who is known for sending out picks for defensive players, they clearly yeah. value that. They also have a lot of picks still from trades that they've made. Also, good pal of, of, of Scott Fitterer maybe bails him out. I think trading for a first-round pick would, just based on talking to the fan base, help kind of reiterate that this is a long-term build. Right now, they don't have that nest egg of a first-round pick, and I think that that is psychologically draining for a team that has no hope for the playoffs this year. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. fair. I think it's a, a very worthwhile and fair criticism, I will say. But also, there's kind of a way out. Yeah, fans are looking for the next uh, piece of hope. You know, they got yeah. a quarterback finally, and it's like, okay, hey, there's hope in a quarterback. Things haven't gone well so far. They're looking at CJ Stroud, being okay, let's find the next piece of hope. Okay, the draft. Oh, there's not a first round pick. And I mean, it's just interesting. It's like, okay, you know, you trade McCaffrey, who was a first round pick, who p- turned out to be a good player. And, you know, right now, the running back position, they replaced him immediately last year. So far, they haven't been able to do that. They traded away DJ Moore, who's a first-round pick, and they have obviously not been able to replace him so far. But it's been early, and now it's like, okay, trade away Brian Burns, another first-round pick. And I think they're going to have even a harder time finding someone to give give them what Burns has given them the last couple of seasons. So it's just interesting because, like, yeah, you trade away Brian Burns. Of course, like, this is going to be something where 
it's going to be a pretty extended rebuild because you need more receivers. You probably need more help on the offensive line, defensively, some depth. Like, I don't know. And you think about this coaching staff, like how, how long are they going to sit here and build this thing? And how much time is Tepper going to give them? How much patience is he going to be able to show? So it's just interesting to me uh, with all that's going on and just the, the contract discussions like Burns. I guess I really haven't heard anything about Jeremy Chin, which kind of leads me to think like, hey, he's probably gone and that there would have been interest there. Then Frankie Lubu as well. So it'll be interesting to see how things go. But he's Mike K of the Charlotte Observer. Follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore E underscore K-A-Y-E. Check him out there on Twitter and check out his latest column, Five Thoughts on the Panthers at the bye. He does a great job. So does Alex Zeitlow, his partner over there on the Char- on the Carolina Panthers beat. And of course, Scott Bauer, the longtime sports columnist with the Observer. And subscribe to your local paper. A lot of good news out there um, that you guys should pay attention to locally and statewide, of course, and nationwide and internationally that the Charlotte Observer can give you. But, Mike, appreciate your time as always, man, coming up here on the show. And hopefully you can get some uh, better sleep here uh, over the course of the next week as before the games or come back here for the Panthers. I mean, that 40 minutes flew by. I <laughs> I, I don't know where that went. I, time doesn't exist to me anymore. But, Julian, I always appreciate coming on your show. You're one of the best in, in the market. And uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate that. We'll take a quick pause and then I come wrap up the show here in just a moment on Locked on Panthers. Great conversation there with Mike K of the Charlotte Observer. Again, check him out on Twitter at Mike underscore E underscore K with an E there at the end of his last name. And check out all his work there at the Charlotte Observer. Support your local newspaper, folks. Those people are working hard to provide you coverage of what is, unfortunately, the worst team record-wise in the National Football League through the first seven weeks of the season. But that's going to wrap up this edition of the Locked on Panthers podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, hosted by yours truly, Julian Council. Again, y'all, check out the show Monday through Friday um, over on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast where I ask you to subscribe and follow the show as it is free. And make sure to follow me, Julian Council, on Twitter at Julian Council, where on Wednesdays throughout the rest of the regular season, I'll be answering your weekly Wednesday mailbag questions, either at me or DM me over on Twitter to get those questions into me for this week's edition of the weekly Wednesday mailbag. And in the meantime, be safe, be happy, be whole. As always, keep pounding. And I'll talk to y'all on Tuesday. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.